You're listening to the New City Church Podcast. These episodes are recorded live on Gadigal land. Sometimes the audio quality might not be perfect because what you're listening to is a conversation. We don't edit out the chatter and we think that's what makes it authentic. Wherever you're tuning in from, we hope you find this episode encouraging. Um, Hi, my pronouns are they, them, just so you know. Um... Yeah, tonight we're doing the last of our series on re-raveled yarns. I haven't been able to sit in one of these stools yet, so I'm going to enjoy that. Street Bounty. Um, Excuse me. Ooh, what an experience. Huh? Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Joanna's Joanna's been in the hot seat. She knows. Um... But, uh, yeah, over the last few weeks, I'm just going to delve straight in. Over the last few weeks, we have um, had beautiful conversations with members of our community about the experiences of deconstructing and reconstructing faith. We've explored the various journeys of questioning and unravelling, what prompted us to start deconstructing, the ways that we were taught to distrust ourselves and how we might learn to trust and relate to our bodies again, as well as what it's like to navigate doubt and uncertainty amidst life's big questions uh, and how to find steady foundations that help us move forward. And through all of the seeking, exploring, questioning and navigating, we've heard from people who show up week to week here in a church because there's something about this thing that we just can't shake or something that won't shake us. And tonight we were going to have myself uh, asking some questions to Becky and Joel, but because Becky is unwell, um, I have subbed in. And so tonight we're going to be talking to our pastors about what it's been like to deconstruct and reconstruct their faith, Uh, particularly what has the journey been like to step back into faith and into church. Uh, So tonight I welcome myself. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And a welcome, Joel. (laughs) I don't know if you want to grab another mic or if you want to share, whatever you think. Oh, sure. Yeah. We can do that. Thank you. Might need to shuffle. Amazing. Uh, Yeah, I might shuffle this way just a tad. How's that going to go with the screen there? Uh, Can we turn the screen off? This is stepping back in, in action. (laughs) This is it. Uh, Something I'd just like a little get to know you that I've been asking our panelists is, what is something that brings you joy? I didn't prep you for this one. So you're on the spot. forgot about it. What is bringing me joy? Um, I I have just told my boss that I'm quitting my job. (laughs) Wild. Um, uh, The school. The school. Um, so it's, it's not public knowledge yet, but here we go. Um, uh, so that is, it's, it's one of those things, like I'm still going to be there for a few more months, but it's just like a weight off, like, oh, I know that there's an end in sight. It's very intensive work, so it feels like a bit of a, yeah, it's, there's pros and cons, sadness in that, but at the moment, oh, I can't turn. <laughs> Whoa, hello. Um, but there's, uh, there's joy in that as well, I think. 
Great. Yeah. How about yourself? I'll springboard off that and say the job that I've just taken and started is bringing me joy. So I've been, been doing this job in um, queer inclusivity training. I manage a team that does that and it's this beautiful queer org called 2010 and I love them. They're just a great place to work. And this week we had headshots for the website and they just looked great. So... <laughs> And also, I found out my colleague at said job that I've just quit reached out to Steph to ask for training. Small world. (laughs) Wild. We could just do this all night, couldn't we? Um, Okay, so to kind of set us in our series, um, can you describe your deconstruction, reconstruction journey in a nutshell, like a few key experiences, Mm. if that's possible? That's uh, not possible, but we'll give it a shot. Um, I, I shared one of my deconstruction experiences a, little, a, a few weeks ago. That's a bit embarrassing, but I'm going to share a second one. I have a very distinct memory of lying in bed one night. as a, I might, might have been 10, 11, like old enough to know better. Um, lying in bed, tossing and turning, having an existential crisis of all sorts of things because it was Easter um, and I had just watched... Uh, presumably what I thought was a live-action documentary of Jesus dying. Um, and it, like, it was quite vivid, and I remember it. But the thing that was really keeping me tossing and turning was because I had come up with a vital flaw in the storyline because I knew I, I could remember Jesus being born, and that had only happened about four months prior. And as a child, I was like, this, this can't be right. People don't, you know, you don't grow up and die. And then it hit me, Jesus doesn't die every year. Like, this is it, this is it, and I just, like, tossing and turning, trying to work, what on earth is this story that's happened? Um, it wasn't until sometime later that I worked out, you know, the, the concept of time. Um, but in that moment, it was just, I, I thought I had uh, my faith pinned, and it all came tumbling undone. Um, so I grew up in a Christian family that was really beautiful. My parents, um, they took me to church each week, really beautiful community that I got to be a part of. And the, to, to sum up kind of the, the vibe, um, I, ex, I, I told my mum a while back that I thought she was quite conservative. And her response to that was, we're not conservative. Growing up, I, I let you dance. That, that was her level. That was, <laughs> um, so it was, it was quite a conservative community, quite a conservative family. Um, but my grandparents were more conservative. So my grandparents, on my dad's side in particular, that would be the, the no alcohol, no dancing, and no kind of smiles environment. Um, uh, fast forward, I had this kind of assumption that, well, parents must be more conservative than their children. That was kind of the, the framework that I had, and I didn't realize that until fairly recently. Um, but I hit my 20s, and I was part of that young, restless, reformed kind of environment, um, very conservative. I was at UNSW, which is a very conservative Christian group. But I think in hindsight, I held a lot of things much more loosely than I realized, um, which helped me when, after I'd gone through Bible college, I had Shane as a PhD supervisor and Shane is very good at poking holes and saying you know maybe things don't line up as neatly as you think they are Um, and challenging me to think deeper coming out all of a sudden I had to wrestle with certain texts Um, and for me a huge moment of deconstruction was realizing that I was an okay person that for me was probably the biggest moment of wow 
I don't think God despises me. That, like, and it's amazing how much theology suddenly comes unraveling when that concept fell in place. So that was my kind of deconstruction process. Um, I am the type of person, uh, and this is something that Thomas and I work with in our, in our marriage all the time. Thomas wants to talk things through, wrestle ideas out, discuss it, throw ideas around. I'm the kind of person who takes a concept and goes and sits by a lake. And then eventually I come out being like, I now know what I think. Um, that's, that's how I roll. Um, and so for me, the reconstruction process and a lot of that deconstruction has just been sitting, pondering, um, sometimes praying, sometimes not knowing what to do with prayer, sometimes reading the Bible, sometimes not knowing if I can read the Bible, uh, gently kind of coming back into a space where I feel comfortable-ish. And that's where I think I am now. Is that, Yeah. That's my summary. Great. Um, I'll go next. Yeah, go for it. Sure, thanks. Um, uh, in a nutshell, like many of us here, um, the like coming out as queer was like the starting point of my deconstruction, and um, yeah, just things not matching up of like core beliefs about what I'd been told were core Christian parts of our faith for years about. Um, you know, unconditional love and grace of God and that, you know, like we kind of quoted last week from Romans, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Um, And yet uh, all of a sudden I was at the centre of whether I was okay with God or not. Like if if you keep um, being gay and (laughs) doing that thing and, you know, there's a whole lot of theological assumptions around behaviour and sexuality, um, you know, all of a sudden it was in my hands to be okay with God or not, and that didn't make sense, so a little piece started to unravel. Uh, And then I was in conversation with my ministers at the time and just kind of exploring these things and saying, like, it it doesn't sound like, you know, it doesn't sound like this is kind of airtight here. It sounds like there's some holes here of uh, kind of things that need to be discussed, but... Um, yeah, and the answers that came back just never were really fulfilling or nuanced. Um, and so then I started to realise I couldn't trust those people anymore and that those people were just kind of making stuff up. Um, and I'd like to replace the word stuff with, a, you know, another word, but uh, <laughs> I won't because we're recording. Um, but, yeah, I was like, oh, you actually don't really know what you're talking about. Um, And so that kind of just started the unravelling and it's what led me to explore who else is talking about this? What are other people saying who are outside of the only voices that I've heard? And so I started reading more widely on um, being queer and my place as a queer person in the church uh, and hearing that people were interpreting scripture in different ways and coming to different conclusions um, and then kind of at the point where I'd sort of been okay on the queer issue, I started my master's um, and was like, well, if I've had this experience, who else has had this experience and what other ideas have been harmful and what else do I need to work through? Uh, And so I sat with a lot of people from um, a lot of different experiences and I've spoken about that master's being really life-giving for me in terms of learning from Indigenous Christians and learning from women for the first time in learning uh, learning from women of colour for the first time and really just hearing like post-colonial perspectives, trauma perspectives on scripture and our traditions and 
hearing just the history and the breadth of the Christian faith and that I'd been given one little small little nugget um, that was uh, kind of gatekept through a very small section of a misrepresentative bunch of people uh, and realised that, yeah, actually this is a white male faith uh, and that there are so many other versions of faith out there uh, and just finding life in that uh, and being challenged to my core uh, in some of like me as a white person sitting in those rooms was like, whoa, there's some stuff I need to confront here. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, that's my deconstruction, reconstruction in a bit of a nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so if we're talking about stepping back in and reconstructing stepping back in, I want to know, has there been a time where you stepped out? Yeah. Um, I think uh, if you were to observe my life from the outside, um, no. Like, I have really steadily been at church. I kind of went one from one traumatizing church to another traumatizing church and kind of just waltzed on in. I was like, hi, guys, I'm back. Um, so I think it's, it's rolled quite steadily. But I think internally things have been quite different. Kind of me sitting by the lake has taken a different turn at different times. Um, I would say throughout my early 20s, there was a time where I was functionally atheist. Like, I... I hated the concept of a God, um, but there was a while there where I would still pray to God, but then would be really confused when I'd say amen, and I was queer, but I didn't fit in, and like there was, it was just such a collision. Um, I've since been able to kind of label some of those experiences and the, the cognitive dissonance, you know, holding two different compartments within my mind, and I can recognize those as coping mechanisms that I, I had to sit with. Um, and so, yeah, I, I look back at those experiences, I think, with a measure of grace for myself because this was the system that I was functioning in. And so I was, uh, on one hand, in the system and looking really good. You know, I was on track to be a pastor, but at the same time falling apart. And I think that was my stepping out, um, stepping away. It was internally, as things were falling apart, um, I have had some chats recently with a number of people who've had similar stories to myself and there's a trend where um, people who realize that they don't quite fit in because they're queer uh, you, you guys probably maybe experienced some of this um, you kind of reach a, a fork in the road and for me it was around kind of 14 15 do I jump on out or do I throw myself in entirely um, and I like I overcompensated in the extreme um, uh, uh, my hex degree shows that. I, I desperately wanted to fit in and be a pastor and be in that, that world. Um, but internally, I, uh, I, I, I desperately wanted out. And that, that collision tore me apart. Like my mental health through those years was extraordinarily treacherous. Um, and I remember many nights of, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that I was ever suicidal for an extended period, but there were certainly those those chapters. Um, because of that experience of having so many questions, but not feeling like I could ever speak about them in public, um, even to a trusted friend, because I knew that if word got out that I believed certain things, then I would lose my position, my community, my job, my standing, and lo and behold, all of that happened when I finally did. So, um, yeah, it's a complicated question for me because um, the, the, those things are all merged together. Did I ever step out? Well, no, but 
did I ever lose faith? I think so. But like, yeah, like it's really kind of kind of messy um, in terms of what. And uh, I, I, I know that there are other people in this community who've experienced a similar kind of journey, and it's very confusing uh, because it's kind of you leads are here, and I'm like, well, what am I? Um, but here we are. How about you? Um, yeah, in terms of did I ever step out? Um, I was thinking about this and. I think I stuck around in the Anglican church for quite a many years thinking that I was creating space and making change until uh, one day I realised actually no one here genuinely wants to change and it's just been lip service for years. Um, And a a really hard moment, uh, just heads up, I'm going to talk about something a bit heavy, is like a a friend in our community um, died by suicide who was a a guy who had been part of the Anglican church. And that was the moment that actually I didn't choose to step out, but my body stepped out. And it was during COVID and we were all doing church online and uh, I was like, all right, I'm going to log on to church. It was a beautiful, welcoming, affirming community. So... Um, but still part of the Anglican institution, and I'll call it an institution um, purposefully. Um, yeah, I, I really, like, I'd be like, all right, time to log on to church, and just my body couldn't. Like, I was like, okay, actually, all right, something about it doesn't feel right today, so I'm not going to log on. Next week, Sunday, 9 a.m., I'd be like, all right, it's time for church, going to log on, see these people who I genuinely love and who are like, have become family to me okay, my body really doesn't want to do that again. All right, okay, we'll just take another week off. It'll be really gentle. And then that went on for quite a few many weeks where I realised actually I can never step back in that space again because it's an organisation that is just continuing to be so harmful. Uh, And I've experienced the reality of the pointy end of that. Um, So I think my body stepped out. Um, But that was around the same time that we started this community. So um, I stepped out of a very very harmful uh, space and kind of landed here. And I think when we talk about the the healing that we did together in those early days, I just realised that, like, I just held so much in my body um, and just released so much of that over those first few months. Um, Yeah, yeah. So that's my experience of potentially stepping out but kind of stepping back in yeah because yeah. we had lots of chats around that period of we could either keep slogging it out in the churches that we were a part of um, or we could step slightly off to the side and just create something else um, and yeah I, I think I hadn't thought of that as stepping out so much as creating something new for me like that was yeah it's stepping out and it's stepping, stepping in, out at and the same. in at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Thank God we did that. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, next question. Um, what has reconstructing faith looked like for you? Um, we've heard a lot of kind of stories of deconstruction and, and some of reconstruction over the past few weeks. Um, and I think I'd reiterate some of what they what has been said. Um, for me, it's just been a slow process. It's been gentle. Um, it's also been done in community. So it's been done with a lot of time uh, sitting with people, hearing stories, hearing the stories of, as you were saying, people who have been harmed by religion, religious spaces, religious institutions. 
Um, I think I, I would not say that I have fully reconstructed at this point. Like, I'm just, I, I'm not there. Um, and I don't know if I ever will be. Like, that's, that's the honest truth. I, and, and I'm learning to be okay with that, to sit in that and sit with ambiguity, sit with not quite sureness. And a large part of that has been trusting that. Um, I loved what um, Pete Norton said in the, the first week. Uh, w- one thing that I know about the world, it was a quote from Pete Enns, What's Upon a Time, something along the lines of what I know about the world. Oh, no, the question that I have is, is the world enchanted? Um, and I was like, yeah, that is such a such a, uh, a framing question for me without realising that. I, I can't escape the fact that there is something glorious, something big, something awe-inspiring, something um, that makes me feel small. Uh, all of that reality sits in this world and I've got to the point where I can trust that, okay, wh- whatever happens, even if I'm off kilter and you know, not, not quite on track, that, 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 that divine being knows that I'm human. Like, that, that divine being is, is okay with me not quite being sure. Um, whereas in the past, it felt like I had to be so certain. And so a large part of the reconstruction has been letting go of some certainty. Um, letting go of knowing. Um, and that is, like, I don't know if you've met many, like, white men, um, but that's hard for us. Um, like, they're, they're, we're socialized to know, to structuralize, to categorize, like, to... And, and as soon as that disappears, and I know it's the same case for everyone, as soon as those categories disappear, it, it becomes so destabilizing. But um, I remember one of the first series we did was uh, we did a really witty series in the height of COVID called Exodus Out of Lockdown. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for allowing um, uh, But in that, we spent so much time just thinking about the concept of the wilderness, um, being in the wilderness, and the fact that it's, um, it's in the wilderness where God meets humanity. Um, it's in the wilderness where God reveals things about God's self. And it's not the case that, that the Israelites or, or I wandered into the wilderness, although that is is part of like, you know, physically true, but more importantly, actually God sent us into the wilderness in the same way that the Spirit sent Jesus into the wilderness because there was something to be found there. And in that space, I just found the dross disappeared. Um, the, the, uh, the things that, l- that held me down just fell off. And so that process of reconstruction, it was um, it took time. It took being in a space where I could actually do that. And I think it took trusting that there was something beautiful in that whole process. And I, it wasn't until I was able to put that third piece in there that I was even able to use the words deconstruction and reconstruction. Like, I remember we were having chats and I was like, nah, don't believe in it. It's not a thing. People who deconstruct are pretty bad. Um, like, it, it wasn't a word that I felt comfortable with for myself. Um, and so I had to find other language, and what I settled on was the concept of reformation. Um, the, uh, we, we spoke about at retreat about uh, reformanda semper reformata, um, reformed and always reforming, and that was a really important thing for me to say, actually, there is... Uh, I, I stand in a long history of people who have wrestled with 
uh, the Bible, wrestled with the Holy Spirit, wrestled with God to try and understand. And there's nothing new in me reforming my faith. Um, and so it took me finding language and placing myself in that broader narrative before I felt like I could safely do it. Yeah? Yeah. That was like a mile-high answer. Yeah, and just like while you're talking, I'm thinking about how, um, for me, that letting go of certainty and having answers and settling back into not knowing and mystery and the expansiveness of God, like that being so central for me and then even like putting that back into reformation and that actually if your faith is unchanged and so static then actually maybe you're out of step with the yes. with the one who is always reforming mm. and always changing and always moving and bumping mm. um so that's what i'm thinking about while you do that i like that yeah because i feel like for a long time every sermon that i listened to had a very similar landing point like it was kind of you know read the bible pray more or it's adjacent like that's that's kind of it and for a long time I didn't feel like I was learning more about who God was and I remember um interviewing somebody for some research around this and one of the things I said was um as a as a trans person they felt like they'd been led into a secret about God like they felt like they'd been led into this glorious new way of seeing the divine and I sat across the table with a little recorder recording and um I was like keep talking like <laughs> I, want, I want this secret um uh, and it was like it was just remarkable being like wow of all the sermons that I've heard that land in this same mundane place all of a sudden I'm sitting with someone whose eyes have lit up, who's been booted out of their church, and they're saying, no, no, God's bigger than you think. Like, God, like God's big. You, I, here's the secret. Here's the good news. Here's the gospel. Like, God is amazing. I was like, okay, I've learned more in this conversation as a researcher than I did in decades at church. Um, and I grew. Um, and, you know, some people might frame that growing as backsliding, but potato potato like I it for me it was growth and I I loved it mm. yeah I love that yeah. yeah yeah another element for me has also been about hearing like really thoughtful and considered uh, responses and engagements with questions that were really important for me like the God of the Old Testament seems really violent uh, explain and finding people who have thought through that quite thoughtfully um, and like it seems like the Israelites like are being punished and they feel really bad about themselves like oh we we've been so bad and of course we've been punished and hearing people like thoughtfully engage with that actually being a really natural trauma response is to blame yourself when something bad has happened to you so hearing like some thoughtful uh, engagements with big questions that I had um, and then you know we kind of brought up the whole like life after death and you know like and then experiencing death myself and like loved ones dying and actually then still connecting with them now and realizing oh like there's something beyond in a way that now I'm experiencing that too. And kind of so it was it was ideas and then lived reality of like engaging big things that were like unanswered and actually kind of finding some really lovely pieces of wisdom in that while also underneath just letting myself go to the mystery and the unknown as well. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about uh, maybe combining these two, um, what parts of faith and church do you find challenging? 
And what parts of faith and church do you find healing? I think we could all talk all night about this. Um, do you want dot points? Um, uh, what parts of faith and church? I'll start with the challenging. Um, uh, for me, I'm sitting in the history of church at the moment, the way that that has played out. Um, tracking it from day dot to today is a pretty horrendous story. Uh, you know, you've got your moments of the crusades, which are notoriously bad, but then I work with young Aboriginal kids every day who have had their culture just decimated. Many of them will speak about parents and grandparents who are on the missions. And uh, it is just a reality that the church has uh, a terrible history within Australia, across the Pacific um, and globally that the church, like our church, like let's not d- disassociate ourselves from it. Uh, we are part of the church. Um, my, my people, my siblings have been responsible for decimating culture, uh, people, nations. Like that is just a reality that I, I'm, I'm sitting with and seeing the harm of that. And I think tied in with that is the reality of that that was... That was working on a very similar theological framework to what I held for a long time. Like that is, it's not a a slip up on the part of the church. It's not a bug. Like that was a built-in feature of the church. Um, That wasn't an accident. Um, And I'm not sure still what I do with that theology. Like I still believe that Jesus is beautiful and I would love for people to meet Jesus. Like that is... Um, our, our, our vision statement for our church is that all might find life and refuge in Jesus. Like, it's a beautiful thing. Um, but theologically, what does that mean for something like mission, for going to another part, another country where people don't know Jesus? Like, what, what do we do with that? Like, it's, that's, again, it's not a bug. That's a feature. But that, that is ripe for decimating and destruction. Like, that's a theology which I need to wrestle with and say, no, I'm not comfortable with that, no matter how beautiful Jesus is. I, like, I don't know that. Like, I, I don't know where the answer lies in that. And I'm listening to people, but um, I, I, for me, I, myself, I'm still not comfortable. And in that, um, you know, you, you can bring up the, the big ticket items, something like heaven, hell, afterlife. I don't know. Um, I would love to be a comfortable universalist and believe that all people get to heaven. Um, at this point, I just don't feel like I have the data. I'm like, I, I can't confidently say all people get to heaven. I wish I could. Um, but I, I don't know the mind of God enough. And all I've got is this book. And I don't even know if I trust that book entirely in terms of its genres and the way that God worked with humans to write it. Like, I, I believe so much of it is divine and God breathe and like all it, like I, 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 I hold so much authority within the Bible, but I don't, I don't know if I have the right lens. Um, and so, what do, yeah, do, what do I struggle with? It's the history, but it's mixed in with the theology and I can't separate the two. I also can't separate the two from what's happening in the church at the moment broader. Uh, like there, are, there is so much tied in there that I look at, um, you know, my, my siblings in America who are voting for horrendous policies that are causing unquestionable harm to my trans siblings. Um, and that is, like, I, 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 
I genuinely don't know what to do with a lot of these things. Um, and they are things that I hold often really closely and they collide. Um, so yeah, that, that's a struggle that I, I sit with and I don't speak about it very often um, because it is hard for me to even sit with. Um, but uh, I, I know that they're there and I trust that, as I said earlier, I'm trusting to live in that ambiguity um, and so maybe tying into some of the things that are bringing healing, I've landed on so many of these things at a really pragmatic position where it's, I don't know, I'm going to err towards the side of a good God. Which for me was really controversial a few years ago. <laughs> um, but I'm going to err towards the side of a God who is uh, fundamentally loving, fundament like fundamentally to God's core, honouring of the other. Um, like that, that is a fundamental... Um, and where do I get that from? Again, I don't have the data. Um, it's just when I read the Bible, when I look at creation, when I speak to people who are part of the church, that, that seems to be the God who is shining forth, and so I'll roll with it. Um, a, a God who is fundamentally loving, fundamentally honouring of the other, and fundamentally present. Like they, they are just threads that then filter into all of my theology. So, you know, will a person go to heaven or hell when they die? I have not enough data to make a comment on that, but I do trust that God is loving, honouring of the other, and fundamentally present in that person's life. You can see where I'd, like, I'd probably land, um, but there's ambiguity in that still for me. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for sharing so honestly. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, we're all on journeys here and there's a lot of unknowns. So, yeah, that's really beautiful. Um, yeah, if I'm going to share about challenges, things I find challenging and healing, I think as someone who is, like, who has chosen to stay part of the church, the broader church, uh, and be a pastor of a church, uh, as someone who uh, does kind of speak publicly and um, is asked to kind of give ideas and engage with the Christian tradition, engage with scriptures and to potentially interpret them and give my perspective on what I think they mean. Uh, I think the things that I find challenging are around not perpetuating the harms that have come before me and acknowledging that I come from experiences that uh, are going to influence that and that we all come from influences uh, and, we're, you know, we bring our experience and our personhood to our engagement with any parts of our faith. Uh, and that's the beautiful thing about it is that God comes in flesh, like it's a personal thing. Um, but, yeah, really not perpetuating the harms and, uh, and trying to find a way that a diverse community of people can all feel like they equally belong and feel seen and known and loved and that their voices are heard, that their voices are included in the interpretation of scripture. Um, so I think there's like a, a responsibility there that I find challenging as well as like what parts of the tradition, you know, we're, we're such like a, a broad church from different experiences and that people like engage in here finding certain parts of what we do here 
uh, harmful and healing and navigating that. So it's like encouraging for everyone, but, um, you know, we're never going to be a, a blob that all looks the same, that finds everything equally valuable or invaluable. So, um, yeah, that's something that I find challenging is navigating that, particularly as someone who is trying to facilitate a space where everyone can feel like they're, that, you know, this space is theirs equally. Um, and I think what I've found healing is, like, uh, I, I have found a faith that I feel really confident in, um, that I've found new language and new understandings of the God uh, I know and I, I believe in. And I am a confident universalist as well, um, who, you know, that's just a resting thing is that, like, God is doing a reconciling work in everything that we see here. And I firmly believe that the movement of the divine in the world is shaping things for the better. And I get to join in on that. Um, And that that involves all life. Like that's a beautiful thing just to rest in. And that I am, I'm invited to join in on that when like when I hear about like Jesus coming and saying like, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's say like, hey, come and see, change your mind, join in on my presence moving into the neighbourhood and my presence moving in this space. Uh, And you're like invited to participate in doing that. Um, And I think really finding a faith that has come come from the voices of vast and diverse peoples um, has been really fruitful for me and very healing for me. And then again, on the community aspect, finding people who want to engage in how do we um, make sure the songs that we sing have language that everyone can sing and having those conversations together? And how do we do things in this space that have, um, you know, different kinds of uh, church traditions or rituals present uh, in a way that people, you know, feel like they're part of this and can engage and are empowered to do the things that uh, help them encounter God. Um, How do we acknowledge that a lot of people in this room might not find words helpful, but then going out into the bush? Stunning. Like, that's the place I find God. And really affirming people's individual experiences of how they experience God. So, yeah, I love that we have a community that's doing that together. Yeah. Um, I might skip to our final... Actually... I'm going to ask ask each of us to share a piece of writing. We've been asking our panellists at the end of this to share a piece of writing that provides hope for them. Um, But then I also just wanted to give anyone else the opportunity if they wanted to share anything or if there's anything that you've kind of been sitting here reflecting on of uh, your reconstruction journey or parts of um, faith that you find healing or challenging. yeah, is that, you know, I just wanted to offer the space that if anyone wanted to contribute to this conversation in any way, if you've been sitting here thinking about some stuff and you wanted to share it, uh, you're very welcome to do that. So, does anyone else have anything they want to share? The two of us are very comfortable in silence up here. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we might finish. Um, Is there 
a piece of writing. Um, great. You've uh, show and tell. Um, is there a piece of writing that gives you hope in the waves is the question. It's a nice one. Um, I've got two. Controversial. Um, uh, the first one is I, I have so many people and books and words that have just been uh, balms for the wounds, uh, I think, that have just been liberating. Um, uh, one is uh, the way that Rachel Held Evans saw the world has been really healing for me um, and the way that she approached the Bible. Um, and this just helped me in my approach to the Bible. Um, so the question we have to ask ourselves is this, are we reading the scriptures with prejudice of love, with Christ as our model, or are we reading with the prejudices of judgment and power, self-interest and greed? If you're looking for Bible verses which to, uh, which to support slavery, you will find them. If you're looking for verses with which to abolish slavery, you will find them. If you are looking for verses with which to oppress women, you will find them. If you are looking for verses with which to honor and celebrate women, you will find them. If you are looking for reasons to, rage war, to wage war, there are plenty. If you're looking for reasons to promote peace, there are plenty more. If you're looking for an outdated and irrelevant ancient text, that's exactly what you will see. If you're looking for truth, that's exactly what you will find. This is why there are times when the most instructive question to bring to the text is not, what does this say, but what am I looking for? I mean, for me, I, I can remember shifting as I was doing, uh, as, you know, stepping out of really uh, toxic spaces, committing myself to reading the Bible through in a year, um, yeah, that was a thing that people do. Um, I, I almost did it. I almost got to the very end. And the lens that I brought for the first time was, I want to find a God of justice. And I had never done that. And all of a sudden, these, like it just hit me like a ton of bricks that there was actually a God who loved humanity. Like that, that was novel. That was only a few years ago. Uh, and that was... Uh, it, it, it was seeing that, that new way of reading scripture. And so the, the last one that I wanted to land on for me was uh, Revelation 21, which I know I come back to an awful lot. Um, but it is, there, there was a moment, again, I remember where uh, the, the emphasis of my, church, my, my faith shifted from being centered around the cross. This might sound trivial, but it's important. Uh, from being centered around the cross to being centered around the resurrection and the new earth. Like there, there was, like I remember very vividly shifting the focus um, such that I didn't see Jesus as the perpetual victim, but Jesus was the perpetual victor who laid down his life out of ultimate love. Like that, that was a big shift for me. Um, and the, the place that it was heading towards was this. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth for the first heaven and first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea, which feels random, but there's a lot in there. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Uh, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, this is the part that gets me. Uh, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and God will dwell with them. 
they will be God's people and God will be with them and will be their God. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Um, for me, I, I, I want to shift the whole locus of my faith uh, to that moment. Um, and that is something that I now feel like I can work towards having reconstructed to the point that I'm at now. I kind of want to springboard off that and I found a second piece of literature while you said you had two um, because there are some really beautiful passages in the Bible of um, like God's presence coming down to be with the people and being a source of protection. Um, and during my, you know, back at those moments that I first uh, talked about at the start around uh, kind of really distrusting the people who were giving me answers and really not knowing much at all. Um, Psalm 18 was just the first three verses of Psalm 18 just kind of held me. Um, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised so I shall be saved from my enemies. And I just love that because it was like, I'm here in the presence of God and God will be a rock and a protector. And that's all I need to know. I don't need to know anything else. Uh, and the second piece that I wanted to read from was um, Julia Baird's Phosphorescence. So good. Who, who here's read that one? Highly recommend. Um, here's a little snippet from... Uh, what she says. Faith can be an enormous comfort and prayer a buttress of calm. Researchers have found that a wide array of health benefits result from belonging to faith communities. Even if you don't fit in or don't want to, hopefully there will always be pockets of the world and various communities where you can find kindred spirits with whom you can discuss the ancient paths and what it means to ache when you look at thousands of undimmed stars, how to find grace, and if it is even possible to be still and know that I am God. The shame is that it is much harder to find those communities if you are a woman or if you are, a, if you are LGBTQIA+, something the church will need to reckon with in decades to come given the pain this can cause. Theology is much like space travel a wondering about the infinite. The British priest and columnist Giles Fraser once told The Guardian, I think what you have with Christianity is a sense that there is something more, something still to be discovered. Fraser went on to say, adopting the words of Thomas Merton, that theology is about making raids on the unspeakable. Poetry does it, great music does it, and I think theology is of that order. It's not an attempt to describe the world in a scientific way. It's puzzling over the nature of things. This sums it up so well for me, a puzzling over the nature of things and a love of nature itself, which is where God is best found. Sometimes the only place, in the sea, the stones, the silence. Faith is raiding the unspeakable. Grace is forgiving the undeserving. It's a kind of unfathomable magic. And despite everything, 
if you can somehow try to let your life be a witness to whatever it is you believe, grace will always leak through the cracks. That's what gives me hope. Thanks for being part of the panel. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely to chat with you. That's nice. <laughs> uh, see you back here again maybe some other time. Yeah, <laughs> sounds really good. Um, thank you also for being part of the panel. Um, I believe we're going to shift into singing a couple, a couple of songs. Is that right? Um, to kind of 